Hello, welcome to part four of my name is Anki Holst and at the age of 19 I joined the Hare Krishnas. I'm sure you're wondering why I've been sharing deeply personal stuff if you've listened to previous episodes. The story of getting into something like the Hare Krishnas and getting out again is about changing everything. You've swallowed an absolute truth that someone has established as an organization. You were idealistic and naive and everything told you that you were right. You were a teenager after all. It was easy to throw away everything that had existed for you before. Well, especially when it's weeks after the Berlin Wall has just come down. And everything about your home is changing anyways. I wasn't one of the people who defended the East German Republic but I did believe in some of its ideals, solidarity, humanity, equality. So anyways, you joined this thing, you gave it all. You spent the first few years in an environment where you were kind of appreciated as a person. You then moved to a much more insular environment where everything was different. It wasn't working, you weren't happy, you blamed yourself. You got out physically, you started doing normal things, you still believed the movement is perfect, but some people in it weren't, and you just weren't strong enough to do it. You then spent years like that, and then half a lifetime later, you realized, no, the experience you had of it being really, really bad for you wasn't despite how the founder set the thing up, it was because of him. This difference of despite or because is everything. Believe it or not, I met somebody last month at a cult recovery support group who had left in 1993 and still today defends the founder, still keeps most of her Hare Krishna friends, still, or ex-Hare Krishna's fringes, we call them, still spoke up for recovering halfway. You can keep your identity and all your friends. Yes, sure. Who am I to say how to recover properly? But that's kind of why I do this, why I go very deep into what happened and how I felt about it, so that other people look that deeply too. Now that I have sorted personally the despite or because thing for myself, I can begin to recover. Everything I believe about the world, who I am, all my motivations, every relationship, everything I believed about myself. That change never just happens. It's a constant fight. It takes reflection and honesty. And the only way of describing a fight like that is by talking about very deeply personal things and how hard they are to change and yes, I've spoken to people who went, oh yeah, I've been into this weird cult thing and that weird cult thing. Um, but I just took what I wanted and got out of there. And I mean, good for them, but it's not necessarily showing them as any better than me. Loyalty, a sense of duty, devotion, sticking with things when they get hard is not something that I have to feel bad for. They are not bad qualities. They don't make me more stupid or more of a failure. It just makes recovery harder. So in talking about recovery, I have to do three things. 
I have to show you the substance of the thing I got out of, what it made me believe about myself. And then I have to show where I was then, and then I want to show maybe at some point where I'm now. And that's also why I'm not going to re-record the first few episodes of this podcast, even though in podcasting terms they're terrible. I had to go into who I was then, look at all my motivations, and take them seriously enough to speak with, without just anger or ridicule. A bit of that was there, but... It wasn't all all just angry. So today we'll have a bit of lecture time. I'll talk about who founded the Hare Krishnas again a bit and whose words still guide everything the Hare Krishnas do, uh, what his attitudes were, and then we'll have a bit more story time. So women... Because, as you might remember if you listened before, that uh, my first few years were spent in an environment where women were pretty much in control. If not in control, then at least we were pretty independent. And then I moved to an, an environment where that was quite different. So about the founder usually the spiritual facts the Vedic facts about women's destiny and their role in life only appears here and there in in lectures and obviously were never questions because the people he was surrounded by in lectures would never question anything he said but by 1975 the Hare Krishnas had successfully made some people believe that they had all the solutions to mankind's problems. So there were some brave reporters going for interviews with the founder. And this is uh, one, all the following quotes are from one interview where the woman reporter doesn't back down. And uh, you can hear the whole thing, the link is in the description. And it, it's really, it's an education. Where do women fit into these four classes? Better already explained. Women's position is subordinate to men. So being in an organization where uh, there's just regular, you know, the problems any organization has is one thing. But being in, a, in an organization that has been set up by one person according to their exact instructions to the point where they wrote all the books and they then had all their every word recorded in in order for it to be the instruction manual for human society for the next 10,000 years is entirely another and if you're going to be in that kind of environment you've got to be really looking at the founders have very closely held beliefs so of course there are his all his spiritual beliefs and everything but if you set up a society so that you determine the children's education you determine what everyone does you de- you control absolutely everyone's life then you need to really look at somebody like that and their opinion 
about women specifically, because, well, we are women, right? Would you say that women are inferior to men? Yes. By physiological condition, just like you have your bodily features are different from the man's features. You cannot deny it. So according to the bodily features, the psychological condition and everything is there. How you can deny it? Do you think that I am inferior to That you? is not the question of inferior or superior. Different. Now you take one inferior or superior, that is your calculation. But the body... And it goes on like this. And, of course... What advice do you have to women who do not want to be subordinate to I'm men? Not, it is not my advice, but it is the advice of the Vedic knowledge that women should be just and faithful to man. So in all of this, um, it, it continues to be that if we take any of this seriously, uh, we either accept his words as absolute truth and Vedic knowledge and all of that, or we are the worst. So you really have to, uh, you either believe in it or not. <laughs> it's, it's really, it sounds, it, it sounds very little and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it, it is because if you take this guy as a spiritual leader, you will absorb all of these things. If you are a man, you will absorb the fact that women are superior or inferior to you. They have smaller brains, and that's why they can't understand spiritual things. So you will not accept any on any of their talking back. You will accept things like this. Divorce cases, because the woman does not agree to become subordinate. The founder basically said, it's all women's fault. You will accept that women are meant for you. Because woman is meant for assisting man. That pervades an entire thing. And it, it pervades because it, it's built not as a religion, but as, as a society in itself that is insular, that doesn't really engage with anybody on the outside. You, you will not know that, because they don't talk to you about that, but that's, that's the core of the entire thing. The founder really believed that he had that absolute truth to give. And, and yeah, and if you, you know, as long as you're with, within that, that influence, that's what you really... That's what you absorb, and that's why specifically for women it's something that... It's like voting for Trump. <laughs> it's exactly like voting for Trump. And these last two quotes are from the next lecture down in the description, and that's where they altogether read uh, the report uh, that the reporter had filed to their newspaper or magazine. And they're having a nice giggle at the expense of this woman and every other woman. And here's where the founder describes what, uh, what, what women or girls should learn. This is 
he also describes that education basically just leaves women as prostitutes. And his, in his perfect society, this would happen. Now our policy should be that at Dallas we shall create first-class men and we shall teach the girls two things. One thing is how to become chaste and faithful to their husband and how to cook nicely. And the other thing that would happen in his perfect society, of course, would be that girls, because puberty is very dangerous, so they would be married off very, very young. And by 15, 16th year, they should be married. And if they are qualified, it will be not difficult to find out a nice husband. Yeah, like I said, all of this stuff is, is available on the Internet. <laughs> He's, you know, you can listen to all of this. I mean, it's terrible and doesn't leave you well emotionally or in any other way. And the abusive situation of many of my friends who are also post-cult recovery <laughs> friends, that we experienced abuse to varying degrees, but there have been, of course, very, very, very bad situations. And there is the fact that the entire society is bankrupt in the U.S. because of children of the movement suing the movement for physical and sexual abuse. But we'll get into that at some other point. So that is all for now. Let's just go into some more story time. So I left physically in 1998. 1998 was, was also an interesting year because the movement, in, especially in Northern Europe, couldn't just go on like it had been because the main guru of the zone had just quit. So, of course, a huge upheaval. As a result, most of Germany imploded, and most of them didn't quit the Hare Krishnas, but went over to a different group of Hare Krishnas. Actually, no, I didn't leave in 1998. I left in 1999 because my child was 15 months old. And we moved to the south of Sweden because... As a nice, chaste, subservient wife, I, of course, moved with my then-husband because he had gotten a place to study in a Swedish art school. He was doing animation. And as a result of me being the nice, subservient Vedic wife, I was running all the things. I was paying all the bills. I was doing all the childcare. And I was studying full-time and also sometimes working as a German teacher. And my then husband lived a completely separate life, and and uh, yeah, let me do all the things, let me do all the running around because I was being so nice to look after him so nicely. And there wasn't a hugely abusive situation, and like I said, I mean, I was in that mode where you just do all the things, you just don't ever complain or argue or you know. And when I did finally admit to myself that the Hare Krishna thing was a mistake, it was 2013, it was three years ago. It was a full 15 years later. I could tell a bit of what happened between 1999 and 2013. I think that would be better maybe in the form of an interview because the, thing that's, the things that I find interesting might not be interesting for you. So I will wait for that until we have the necessary technical setup so I can actually do this as an interview. Many people leave the Hare Krishnas, but 
many people actually don't. And the people that don't leave aren't usually the more devoted or the more spiritual. Because the more spiritual ones can't equate the the things that they need to do to other people and to themselves with their sensitive and emotional and and their empathetic qualities. So the people that stay, they have power as a big incentive. And one of the reasons I think I was so easily dumped from the Cologne thing was because I absolutely refused to follow the career progression of, of a Hare Krishna devotee, which is you know, you stick with it for a few years and then you're rewarded by power over others. And that made me really difficult to control. When you get the payoff, you get to boss people around that are more junior than you because it's such it's an absolute thing. It's, it's different than bossing people around in, in any normal organization where, you know, you, you have problems with them or stuff. Like nobody talks back. You get all your wonderful free food get to stay anywhere in the world you get to people listen to your every word you get people washing your clothes that is just such an amazing drug that 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 you never walk away from that but i like you know many other honest people are just you know i i just looked at myself i was like i who am i to boss people around so one one day when i was still in cologne and i was still going out they actually the temple authorities forced me to take a take a party out in a uh, uh, in a van for a week and that just didn't go very well and one of the girls left in the middle of the week and had had her brother pick her up from a rest stop a motorway in Germany and just to show you that this stuff is not this is not you know ancient history I actually met her recently at uh, actually last year about this time last year uh, she was doing she was one of the workers at the catering for a conference I went to <laughs> she's here in London too so that's fun the other ones just muddled along but we weren't doing much and I also was on my period so I was curled up in the back of a van and that was just awful otherwise this this sort of pushing people into taking on these power positions is is a perfect ploy and I could see that even then yeah, especially if you're a guy the first time you get your all of your food cooked for you and everything and your laundry laundry done and and your luxury accommodation you, you just wouldn't want it to stop and who cares what's really going on inside you I mean it doesn't really if you if you don't have a huge amount of conscience doesn't take that much to pretend that you're all really really into this interestingly looking at the movement like it used to be more difficult to pretend that you're really really purely spiritual and all that but now the leading you know you can look at the leading uh, mafia of the thing it's and it's just obvious that they're just crooks especially like the main guy from Ireland he's just, you know I have friends from Ireland who just know everything about this guy and that he's just a crook with money and and with everything and it just doesn't matter because there's no transparency and there's no nobody has an interest in transparency because you know if they if they demand to look at somebody else's accounts then that person will also demand to look at their accounts. So, you know, they all have to be, you know, protecting each other. So, 
even if you don't get that high on the power ladder, it, it can be really com comfortable, especially for men. So you're already better than women, right? So you're already more uh, privileged. And the turnover, if something bad happens, the turnover is big, so it won't matter that much. Uh, you just move somebody else and, and, and call the shots there. Do, do you really worry about anything if you have power and if you have control over others and, and if you have all your bodily needs you know looked after no not really unless you're struggling unless you have you know your conscience tells you that this is wrong or you know you have you have other problems in which case you, you question more and for many just the struggle simply consists of fighting other devotees whose understanding of the teaching of the founder is less pure than your own or they have a different idea, or you consider them less advanced because they do things differently, and you are absolutely right. And the whole thing doesn't really invite reflection or honesty. And also you're too scared and dismissive of everything that isn't exactly the thing you believed in. And you have all the arguments from the founder perfectly presented there for you. But so does the other side. <laughs> and he does. he has said a lot, and... Even in, in this one lecture, he already said completely different things. <laughs> so, so again, it, it, it just invites fighting and, you know, digging in your heels rather than really looking at, you know, yourself. And what does that have to do with anything? Well, for me, it has implications for everything. I'm still now struggling with this stuff. And also, yeah, I still have friends that are in it and that wonder why I'm eating chicken or or believing in science uh, but yeah welcome to the path of krishna consciousness where you're always more perfect than everybody else and good luck with that mindfulness course run by the Hare Krishnas, by the way because who will guarantee that you don't absorb any of this stuff i don't know goodbye see you next time